Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Connor Hello. and Charlie Down. Afternoon. And today we're going to be talking about oh, H3H3 being slightly concerned. Um, turns out hanging out with anti-Semites when you're a Jew is not the best idea. There's some some uh, guys who joined the Nazi party found that out in 1934. Anyway, there's also the fact that, uh, well, it's okay to hate foreigners sometimes, and we're going to find out when exactly. And where. One beautiful place on Earth. The most wonderful country. Everyone's moving there. Also, Sunak, a year in review, because I think it's about time. He uh, I don't know, got spanking. I don't know what's mm. going with that. Let's, uh, let's well, move on before I say something stupid, like I just did. So We've, uh, uh, we've got three o'clock as well. We have to remind the audience because they do pay us. Exactly. After this, we will be having a Tread Girl question hour, otherwise known as Lads Hour. Reminder, we were going to do Mario Kart, but Carl thought you guys wouldn't like it. So be sure to tell him just how much you want us all to get drunk and play Mario Kart together. Wait, we were going to play Mario Kart? We were going to play Mario Kart, and Carl said no. I, I even brought my wife's boyfriend Switch with me. Unironically, he has it in his bag. <laughs> Gone to rest. Anyway, but uh, instead we're going to be talking about the track girl question, which uh, I suppose needs solving. Which, um, to be honest, I do have some thoughts on, but... Uh, whole other, I'm, I'm happy to whole help them place. with plenty of things. Yeah. Well, I suppose we shall begin with um, the news. <laughs> You can call it that. H3H3 is now slightly concerned because it turns out that uh, if you caught an audience of rabid leftists uh, and you're a Jewish guy, it's not actually the best move because it turns out a bunch of them are real anti-Semitic. And um, well, it's come to haunt him personally. Can which... you explain to a very offline person mm. who this guy is? So this is a guy who has wasted his life. He decided, oh, maybe I should make interesting content. Maybe I should use my influence and reach that I make from making content on the internet to defend people like PewDiePie when PewDiePie was being hunted by the Wall Street Journal for endorsing Nazis, we swear, and the evidence was bunk. And then for some reason, he like ate a bunch of crayons and became a leftist and then decided, hey, what if I invite Hassan Piker, known American disrespecter, to, to come on my podcast and we'll do a thing together. And um, you know what? I'll court his audience of extreme left, well, terminally online weirdos. And it turns out that wasn't a great strategy. He should have stuck to defending PewDiePie. That's been a much more, well, close to reality. You're telling me that getting in bed with 9-11 endorsers is a bad idea? Well, some of them. It seems <laughs> to be. So Should have employed uh, Sam Hyde instead, obviously. Yeah, it would have actually been a better move career-wise. And I'm not joking. So we can see here, this is a tweet from some sock dem account, okay. And uh, what's happened is Ethan Klein, obviously being a Jewish man, is, uh, and, and being what well, I suppose he would say of himself on the left these days, quite concerned between the Israel-Palestine conflicts, because on the one hand, he uh, wants to side with Israel, and on the other hand, he wants to side with Palestine. And of course, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to have nuanced discussions or opinions that are complicated. Instead, you must pick Team A because, well, the left. But there is no room for anything. It's Halo, Halo all the way down, red or blue. So he, uh, oh, as a result, has been getting massive amounts of hate from his co-host's audience, which is now his audience. So is he just realizing his audience would kill him given the chance? Well, yes, in fact, um, because he did this stream where he, as you can see, his eyes are all weird looking. He looks like Uncle Fester. Yeah, I don't know if he was majorly crying or if that's makeup, to be honest. It's it might be weed. Kind of weird, but his eyes are all red for people listening. And he, he did this uh, section of his, his newest podcast uh, uh, stream. And it's about an hour or something where he's just talking about Israel-Palestine, just going over arguments. And it's like, God, I could not give that much of a toss because I'm English. But the results of courting a terminally online leftist audience are something that I think should be understood so they can be mitigated against. Learn a lesson. 
young boys and girls, do not follow the, the path of Ethan Klein. And I suppose we'll listen to what happened. Hassan's Discord, and what I saw in that Discord was universal, near-universal praise for Hamas, near-universal saying people deserved it, people near-universally calling me a Zionist pig, fucking mass-murdering, genocidal freak. And if you want to know the truth, that shit fucked me up seeing that Discord. Because it made me realize that a lot of these people are watching this show and it frankly disturbed me. Hassan's Discord and what I saw in that I just... How could you have seen this coming? Yeah. Literally impossible. And far be it for me to feel bad for my enemies, but he doesn't strike me as a very intelligent fellow. And so to stumble across quite literally thinking that uh, your tribe is on your side and then to feel that level of betrayal I wouldn't be surprised if actually his eyes are red from, from tears because it is difficult to be plunged into a state of nihilism when everything you believe and everyone you think is your friend is actually out for your blood. So yes, stupid ideology. Yes, obvious enemy for putting it out there. I do feel a tiny bit bad for, for just how distressed you might be. It is a bit of a cautionary tale of what happens when you allow, you, you allow yourself to be taken in by like progressive ideology. Because like, you look even the evolution of how he looks. I mean, he's not a man who he doesn't look well, does he? In that, yeah, he he's gone from uh, again. If he's Jewish, he he's gotten so fat he looks Greek. So, <laughs> if you change ethnicities by the amount you eat, I wouldn't say that you're probably in the healthiest of places. But I do love that it is him as well. I mean, uh, Carl just reminded me before we spoke, which is that Jordan Peterson literally warned him specifically. Oh, if I you go this down now, this yeah. route, you will get eaten too. Yeah, and. Well, there have been a few events, but this is the one that finally seemed to have broke the camel's back in his regard. And it's, it's, I, I struggle to have sympathy, I'll be honest, because, I mean, as if, the, as if there was any way to know that this might have been yeah. a terrible idea. Bringing Hassan on. Yeah. To, to partner with local 9-11 lover uh, and, and, and his audience, which have stuck with him through thick and thin. Of uh... <laughs> Well, he's a detestable person, because didn't he go to a brothel that was later found out to be a hub of sex trafficking? Obviously, it's not alleged that Hassan engaged in any of that illegal activity, but if you're running in that world, it doesn't make you the arbiter of morality. But even without the moral stuff, I mean, Hassan Piker, we've spoken of previously, I mean, he's just not, he's not entertaining. Hmm. He's not intelligent. He doesn't really help you enjoy life, never mind learn about life. Instead, as he puts it himself, he is an idiot propagandist. Uh, that's a direct quote from his interview on Piers Morgan, which, you know, is a Refreshing thing. to be honest. Yeah. And this is what just international conflicts that have very little involvement for an average Westerner are so beautiful to me. Because when this happens, the news cycle obviously picks it up because that's how the news works. And the effects it has on such people are just brilliant because you see that they have no interest in finding the truth. They have no interest in enjoying life. They have instead an entire interest on my team, just 100% tribalism. My guys didn't do nothing and everyone we're against did everything. And he said it himself in this interview. And this hasn't been hidden at any point. This is his entire career, in which case, yeah, this was a very, very stupid move <laughs> to sign up as someone as your partner in business and podcasting. And I'll be honest, you kind of deserve the consequences of finding out that everyone you've courted hates you. Well, they did tell you they did. So just a comment on the media space as well. This is something why I think both you and I, even though we do mainstream telly mm. for as long as they'll allow us on, have 
been reluctant to comment on the Israel-Palestine situation yes. generally. The only thing that I've done on it was earlier in the week saying, why do we have a bunch of foreign terrorist apologists in our streets that yeah. shouldn't be here? Because I don't want anything to do with it financially or culturally. And this is why. It's because whatever current thing bandwagon exists, you'll get people to go on sensationalist television or making tweets or whatever to capitalize off of said tragedy just for eyes, clicks, and clout. And I think that's what Ethan's done, not just because of ideological bias, but he's brought Hassan on because Hassan has a pre-existing audience and he's a sensationalist. And he thought, you know what, this will keep the show going and the wheels spinning. What he didn't realize is the ideological bias is far stronger an incentive draw mm. than audience retention and loyalty. And now he's facing up to that. Well, a couple of things there. I mean, <clears throat> as you say, we both go on sort of mainstream media. And I was, I was on a show quite recently um, where I was... There were two guests and two hosts. So I was one of the guests. The other guest was very obviously supposed to be the the pro Palestine side, thereby framing me as being like the pro Israel guy. Notoriously pro Israel. I know, and I was I wasn't like I wasn't willing to play the character in the kind of the theater production kayfabe that they were trying to put together because that's exactly what it is. This sort of thing. It's just a kind of as you say, a sensationalist entertainment product fundamentally, um, and it's it makes light of something that is very serious, but also. I don't know why do I why do I have to pick a side? You know why can't I just pick my own side? Well, the incentives to get booked is well, that's that's exactly that's the thing. So people allow themselves to be pigeonholed. Yeah, there's some sort of market interest. But the interesting thing you said about Hassan's audience, he is very famous. He has a, he a lot of people know who he is. Like my sort of my non-political friends, they all know who he is. They're like, oh, that's Hassan Arbi from Twitch type thing. Hmm. It's like you know what? And I you know, I've asked my non-political friends like, what do you think of this guy? And they've kind of given a, a sort of moment to us like, oh yeah, he's I don't know, seems okay, I guess. Never really watched him type thing. Um, but the fact is that he does... <laughs> I too think America deserved 9-11. <laughs> this, this is the thing. It's a sensible centrist position. Yeah. <laughs> but a guy, a guy like that having a, even a small amount of like mainstream profile, mm. it's just insane because he is, he is a moron and he is a grifter and he doesn't actually have any particular deeply held principles. Mm. And yet he is you know, given this platform. It's just, it's just amazing to me. And, and this isn't even getting into the conflict because I, I had this interaction recently, which I found funny. And it's uh, yeah. when I see some yes. national concern, someone, this guy here is like, oh, imagine if this happened to you, you know, the English. Imagine, imagine. if your land was taken. So I tweeted this thing at him, obviously, which is, well, it is. Here's London. And obviously blocked immediately. But that's more my point, which is you can see the pros and cons of international conflicts. You can come up with nuanced arguments. So, you know, I could, I could sit and make a case for a Palestinian state. I'm not sure I can make a case for Hamas, I'll be honest, mm. even if I tried my hardest. But these people are what Hassan's audience is. It's individuals who aren't sincere. They're always full of spite and hatred and never want to enjoy anything. Instead, it's just utterly 100%, 24-7, here's why my side is right. Mm. And they'll do anything they can to prove it including, you know, bollocks points. Well, I was going to say, just to make the point as well, um, how would he like it if that the country that he lives in was colonized? Because if you see that little flag in his bio, I think that's the one with all the ugly women in it. Yeah. So I, I may, maybe we should go over there and conquer that country. It's a see tragedy what's happened to Transnistria. It's, yes. I think that's that one. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll move on. Because this is them. This is their life. You know, this is your audience. People with Palestinian and trans flags. I mean, that previous person had the same thing. As you can see, they believe in two nation states. Which, um, it, and then again, we went over this with Stelios. This is not even, Stelios did a great job of explaining the ideological roots of why you end up with que queers for Palestine. On the face of it, comical. But these people are just toxic. They're just frankly toxic individuals you wouldn't want subscribed to or watching your content because then they turn into, well, what Ethan's discovered. When you don't side with their side 100%, hmm. 
you become something that has to be removed. Hmm. And well, that's what you get. And Ethan's doing something in response, which is he says here he's going to pause his podcast with Hassan. He's, he's not going to bother anymore, which um, probably the right move going forwards. That's probably what I do if I were him. I mean, I, I would suggest he stops eating leftovers. That, that is also a very good point. That is, that is true. Um, if you've never watched Leftovers, which is their podcast, uh, I wouldn't blame you. It's, it's just kind of boring. But the, it's most famous for that one incident where Ethan said that if there was another Holocaust, he wants Ben Shapiro gassed first, which... Oh, again. <laughs> I, I, I remember one clip of where he laughed at some girl for having AI nudes made of her by like a streamer or something. And it's like, classic that's, guy. That's just disgusting. Mm. But I, I, I could, okay, he was kind of, I, I can't, he was making a joke at the time. We've been victims of uh, YouTube not understanding jokes, whatever. It's a pretty bad joke. Don't get me wrong. But that's, that's something. But where do you end, how do you end up sitting there making jokes about how you want Ben Shapiro gas in the next Holocaust? And frankly, I think it's because you hang up with Hassan's audience. You end yeah. up in that sphere because it's it's just not fun. Not to mention that the content is just bad and, and you should do more with your life. There was a guy I mentioned previously who went on his podcast and was like, bro, you used to make stuff. And now I saw that, stuff. yeah. It's, it's a great point. But there's an even better one from the Lither King of all people <laughs> who um, went on and Hassan's there as well, which is the brilliant part about this clip in particular. And I don't know if we can get the, uh, the audio here ready, because uh, I think we'll enjoy this. So it, it's primal to be driving? Like, it's still primal? I just, because I don't know, I, I want to, like, yeah. driving primal? Well, I'm going to tell you, it, it 100% is, and I'm going to go ahead and, and put this to bed once and for all. Because people say this shit forever, right? Hey, dr driving in a car is not, you know, is this primal? Flying in a jet, you know, right. having a beach house is, all, having a ranch is, and so th this is what I say, like, the evolutionary hunter that left the comfort of the cave, they did this for a better life, mm -hmm. right? They left the comfort of the cave, to go explore adventure and excitement and to pull our entire ecosystem forward. You had those other guys remaining in the shadow. I call those guys as subprimals, mm -hmm. making reaction videos, sitting on the couch, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, but, fuck but, that. I, yeah, fuck, I fucking hate those guys, man. Straight but, up. But Because this I is would, what happened. I would never right? do that. The evolutionary hunter left. <laughs> Why enough are they both know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Ethan used to make stuff, at least. Hassan, I don't think, has ever made anything up. He literally just does reaction content. A lot of money off of communists to buy himself a big house? Yeah. Uh, one more update as well, just to mention, as you can see here, Ethan decided to delete pretty much everything off his Twitter. Oh, Jesus. This, so this is not an insignificant meltdown for his personal life. Is that profile photo edited? That's photoshopped, yes. Right, okay. That's, that's just him having it looks fun. like Fry a Tuck. But there is a, a, an analysis from all this, because not only is the Liver King obviously right, do more with your life than just reaction videos. Like, I like reaction content. I watch uh, you know, some stuff. Maybe not Sniper Wolf, but whatever. But if that's all you do with your life, Hassan, I mean, you're even more worthless. Not only are you stupid and not learning anything about the world, not having fun, like, you don't even do anything with your life. Sure, you got a mansion and some cars, but... Really? That's, that's it? Like, that's all you've done? What do I do? I make reaction videos and then I sit around and talk about why Israel gets nuked. Trust me, bro, it'll be a good idea. So it's just Hassan what strikes you do me... What your <clears throat> He strikes me as the type who... I don't want to get all sort of tinfoil tin hat here, but... It, 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 he strikes me as the type who's being propped up in some way because he is such he's just I don't understand how he has an audience of the size that he does well he got his job because he, his uncle is yeah, uh, now Yuga. running yeah. for president on the ticket of I'm not joking by the I way know, I know I know can't win though because he's a foreigner yeah so, was he born abroad yeah, yeah. oh Turkish right. so he actually can't win even if okay. everyone voted for him well, that's really gutting because obviously his platform of legalizing bestiality on day one would be a real vote winner. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't? Um, but no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, yes, there are other strings being pulled. I mean, we, we have heard before about how the Prince's Trust was 
propping up like philosophy tube, for example. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to get an angel investor. Mm. <laughs> radical leftist propped up by the royal family. I mean, I still can't get over that. Unfortunately, the king is a radical leftist, so. Yeah, but uh, there you go. Uh, massive collapse. I think for the good, I think it might be a chance for Ethan to grow uh, and to become a person who just cares about, I don't know, it's, even if you don't care about the truth, just have fun. Just make mm. fun content. It'll be more enjoyable than whatever the crap you've been doing because um, not not engaging, to say the least. He's a, he seems like he's been exposed to some kind of like radioactive material. It, it will do him good to have some time away from it. Incredible bulk. I think extreme leftism definitely is radioactive. Yeah. It's the right way to put it. And financially, there's a whole other conversation to be had here. Because I checked out the social blade. Something I hadn't noticed is that this also has been a bad move financially, it seems. Now, he's got, what, ridiculous amount of views per uh, day, obviously. 700k earnings yearly. Must be nice revenue. to be monetized, eh? You know, it's, it's good fun. Don't get me wrong. I bet he can do a lot with 700k. But that doesn't really matter when it comes to big businesses. It's not about, oh, I have a lot of money. It's growth. And when you look at this, you can see that there's some growth here back in you know, some modern times. <laughs> and then ever since September, just about, I mean, you see August there and then September neutral because uh, something happened. And then ever since, it's just negative. It's just people leaving. When did Hassan come on? Interesting you say that. Uh, September. Oh, turns out. Right. So there you are. Original release, September 26, 2021. I mean, I'm not saying it's the reason why, but it does look like the reason why, which is that if you hang out with someone who makes... I mean, Ethan's not a smart guy, as you point out. It did make him look smart being next to Hassan. Carl's said many a time, and it is true. But that's not a good thing. No. I mean, just, just surrounding yourself with retards isn't really going to elevate you over the long term, for, for sure. If half your show is stupidity, then why would people want to watch the show? It's just, it, well, they're not, it seems, that they're leaving because it's a waste of everyone's time. And, well, there is some other good news as well, which is Hassan is also a thing. For people wondering why we talk about such people, it's because, well, they're way bigger and therefore have way more of an impact, which is sad considering the level of the content. Don't get me wrong, but it is what it is. It's the world. You can see Hassan here, his growth is sort of tailing off as well. So it would be nice to have him just disappear because I'm sick. Well, also, tender boy. at the same time that we smaller outlets are making inroads with people that have a lot more influence than Spurgs who sit all day on Twitch. I mean, increasingly, as we have found attending things like Conservative Party Conference, we actually have friends in higher places. And I, I would be shocked if Hassan's uncle ascends the same office of power. It would be good if we could uh, use more of that to actually help the world instead of just whatever the hell this is, which is uh, just checking his channel real quick before I came back on. It's just like, oh, there we go. There's your, uh, your average content. So he's um, just watching other people's stuff. Yeah, it's a 100% reaction channel, but he's not stealing off Lemono and everyone else. I do love this, though. There's, there's your one hour and three minute long video about how we got here from Israel-Palestine. And the reason I doubly love it is because it literally is the meme. So uh, there should have been another link there, John, if you could load it up. Because there's a guy who made a, a joke video, which is an unbiased history of Israel. Mm. And um, he made a much better point and didn't take one hour and three minutes to tell you all about it. Because literally the, I'm going to now sit here for 20 hours and tell you things, is actually a joke leftist meme at this point. So here we go. Let's, tell him. Uh, what is that thumbnail? It's a wonderful thumbnail. Until the first intifada. Ask an anti-Zionist influencer what the first intifada was and he'll demand your attention for an entire week. Ask an intifada partaking terrorist instead and he'll be very straightforward. A I mean, literally. Literally, that's what sound content is. Whenever he talks about international politics, it's three hours. doesn't really help you. Uh, quite frankly, you'd be better off watching the paint dry. But there we are, which is that Ethan's finally cut ties with him, it seems. Uh, I do hope that that's permanent. And he goes on to grow and makes good content because that would be, well, better for me. I like good content like enjoying things on YouTube. 
It's a tough ask, I know. But yeah, good news. Let's move on. Well, speaking of good news. <laughs> I was going to say, it is very good news. Well, it, it turns out that if we're looking to relocate, if we're taking Peter Hitchens' advice, flee, flee for your lives, there is a country where you're allowed to hate foreigners. It's not the UK, despite the amount of them that we get every year. Uh, small, small drawback, it's South Africa. Um, yes. <laughs> I've, I've spotted a flaw in your plan. Um, yes. If, if, uh, I'm not saying we love hating foreigners. Of course, we don't. We love them, YouTube. But if, if you are a person who does, and you go to South Africa, aren't you a foreigner? A little bit. Okay. Um, there are some hiccups, I admit. But, <laughs> but look, the BBC decided to act as a travel brochure for anyone who is inclined towards xenophobia. And so I just thought we'd go through the double standards that's at this point redundant to point out, but just because it's quite amusing, really. That's it. If you want to learn more about South Africa, you can go and subscribe to our website for as little as £5 a month. It's a real steal at this point. And watch series like Brokenomics, where Dan had a chat to Rob Hersoff who is a billionaire investor, about how bad South Africa has got. But also, just not on our website, but I'd recommend Lauren Southern's old documentary on the South African farmers, because if you don't know the state over there, they're literally boiling people alive because they're white. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to avoid that one. But anyway, on to the uh, next link. Can I nick your... Oh, sorry, sorry. That's all right. Don't need, no need to apologize. I'm rubbish with tech anyway. So this is the trailer for the documentary um, from BBC News Africa. It's called Fear and Loathing in South Africa. And... They're not sympathetic, but I don't think the BBC in their write-up article version of this that we're going to be reading from later would be quite so charitable to the concerns of people like this were they American History X types, for example. One wonders. Hang on, they don't even need to be that. Literally, if you just make them white, I think they're going to be hostile to these people. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the treatment of Russell Brand, for example, um, on allegations that have yet to be criminally investigated, they have already said he is an unmitigatedly guilty rapist, um, which you would think might lead them open to defamation if it's proven to be untrue. And a bit weird considering he worked for them at the time and they were probably booking his cabs, but neither here nor there. But if you're a South African who wants to genocide other Africans, it's A-OK -okay according to them. So I'll just allow, with a little video clip, um, these people to speak for themselves. Distressing content, huh? Tell the foreigners not to disrespect This us. is my country, South Africa. I hate foreigners. <laughs> And the government is doing nothing. <laughs> and this is our leading anti-migrant group, Operation Dudu. We cannot be, be undertaken by foreign nationals and do nothing about it. Something needs to happen. We are coming for you. So, thoughts? Well, those guys are calling for violence, obviously, yes. just to make things clear. We have to disavow, of not, course. Not endorsing any of this. No, it's terrible. But I do love this piece of content because whenever you meet like an average, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say white normie, but it's of all races, to be honest, yes. in uh, the West, they just think, because they've been propagandized to think this, that all xenophobia, et cetera, is a Western concept that only we have. And to see some local South Africans being like, I hate foreigners, <laughs> it's just the funniest thing to see. Because I bet if you show people that video, they'll be like, oh, oh, there are there is xenophobia outside of the West. Yes. Well, yeah, that's quite a lot of it. In, in the documentary, they just go around harassing random black people on the street, saying that you showed up Even yesterday. Even though they're black? Yes. <laughs> saying, where, where are your papers? You're from a neighboring country. You have 
about two weeks to leave. Bear in mind, they don't have any actual legal power. They're, they're just, they're just the EDL. What do you want? Yeah, basically, the African Defence League. And they just knock on businesses. Better coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, they just knock on businesses and they act like a kind of ethnic protection racket. I, I would like to point out, though, that they're doing this interview and they're complaining about it. But as soon as one of the most prominent parties in South Africa decides to sing the song Kill the Boa, Oh, it's just a protest song. They're just talking in metaphors, guys. Mm. They want to kick all of the neighboring African foreigners out, who might be perfectly legal as well. Uh, they're totally evil, totally wrong, totally unjustified. But if they call for mass genocide of the whites, just a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. This is how Western media works. Yes. I mean, it's I'm... like what you covered, where you know, actually jihad has lots of different meanings. It doesn't Kill the mean... boa. There's more to it than that, guys. Yeah. Listen it's... to me, yeah? There's a quote from um, Norm Macdonald when he was playing Pigeon in Mike Tyson's Mysteries. I love that show. But there's, uh, there's a brilliant part where just they accuse him of homophobia. And he goes, what, I'm not allowed to feel what I feel? I've always got that with any word that has phobia at this point. Yeah. Like, what are we meant to do? These people are xenophobic. Well, you know, we need special, special recommendations for them, special conditions. We'll set them up a little area with no foreigners, and then they won't have to suffer anymore. This is what happens with Wall Street many times as well. Mm. It's just, okay, if you desensitize the West to false racism accusations, then when we watch stuff like this, it's like, well, okay, I can't even be outraged. Like, what do I do? It's miles away. It's, it's an inter-ethnic conflict. I, I can't be upset at this. I just wish that my taxes and my TV license, which I obviously pay, are going towards funding it. Like, thanks. But I thought we'd read the article just to write up because um, it's funny, really. Um, so from, from the article, you can watch the uh, documentary here. Um, comments are amusing, but the article is Inside South Africa's Operation Dadula, Why We Hate Foreigners. A polemic. Operation Dadula <laughs> was set up in Soweto two years ago. The first group to formalize what had been sporadic waves of xenophobia-fueled vigilante attacks in South Africa that date back to shortly after white minority rule ended in 1994. How curious. They end apartheid and immediately start hating other Africans. It's almost like there isn't some pan-black, panaceic solidarity going on here. But there we go. So the story of the woman in the trailer, who so eloquently expressed her distaste for foreign nationals, is actually told in here. Um, in a school kitchen in Kwa Thema, a township east of Johannesburg, Dimak Atso Mokena, I'm going to butcher all of these names, I'm that sorry. perfect pronunciation, I don't know what you're talking about. Thank you. He's busy making sandwiches. The 57-year-old single parent of three has been a cook there for more than 10 years. It is hard to understand the strength of the hate until Miss Mokena pulls out her phone to show a picture of her son, emaciated with a glazed look in his eyes, angry burn scars spread over his body, up his arms and across his face. He started smoking drugs when he was 14 years old, she said explaining how her son often goes out to steal things to feed his habit. One day, he tried to take some power cables to sell when he got electrocuted and burned. Her son uses crystal meth and neope, a highly addictive street drug that has devastated communities across South Africa. It's not until she blames foreigners for selling the drugs that her reasoning and support for Operation Dadula becomes clear. So, is this not very similar to the situation in the United States, which has spawned various waves of Republican voting, particularly in border towns, in before the Safe and Secures elections, of course, I turned around and said, well, there's lots of cartel members smuggling drugs, mainly manufactured by the Chinese, that are very lethal in doses thinner than a penny across the border. Shouldn't we crack down on this because it's flooding communities and not only killing drug users, but being found on park benches and under mats in nurseries, being unintentionally ingested by children, and they're dying as a response? 
Shouldn't we be cracking down on some of these pipelines of drugs into the country? And the BBC are turning around to this woman who's basically lost her son and gone, and that's why you're a racist. I'm not really sure what... I mean, the video was obviously like, you know, the scary music is always yep. a hint of how they want you to feel. But this article I'm reading, it, I'm just thinking, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I can see why she thinks what she thinks. Yeah. Like, I'm not actually hostile to her anymore. I'm just like, wow, you need some help. Yeah. We need to get rid of those foreigners who are, uh, you know, electrocuting your son there, yes. burning him. Is any dad who decides to go and break up a um, rape gang in Rotherham going to get similar write-up? No, he got arrested yeah. for trying to break into the house of Korea's daughter. Yes, who had also been hooked on heroin. So even if we're interpreting this as more sympathetic than the BBC intends to inframe it, the fact that they're telling her story and telling the sad loss of her son is a far fairer treatment than anyone who in England has had their daughter's um, uh, innocence and ability to have a nice normal life claimed by a bunch of Pakistani criminals who shouldn't be here in the first place. The choice to platform this instead of something else at all yes. with that information in mind is just so insulting. Yeah. You know. It's almost like we have um, some pressing concerns about inter-ethnic tensions at home, which are perfectly reasonable to voice, and the BBC, the national broadcast that we're all forced to pay for, just neglects to mention them. But they will, if you watch CBBC as a child, um, teach you about white privilege. Well, this is the thing, this is the thing with the, the mind parasite of liberalism, what it does to people, where they just, where it's all just, oh no, we're just all individuals and, you know, groups aren't real. Like, like Jordan P, I love Jordan Peterson, but when he says that, you know, there's only individuals, there's no groups, it's just like, clearly group identity is important to people. Yes. And it's, and it's an inescapable fact of life. And in the West, we are the weird ones mm. for not um, recognizing and, and reckoning with that reality, mm. right? We've been, we've been basically indoctrinated into thinking of ourselves as just you know, again, it's these purely atomized individuals, citizens of the world and all the rest of it. When in reality, everybody else in the world recognizes themselves as part of a group. Um, and that's an in incredibly important part of their identity. Yet when we, when we express concerns on behalf of the group that we identify with, we're called all the names under the sun. Well, especially if we prefer that way of life. Yeah. We would prefer to be relatively race colorblind, mm. but instead people who do not share those values that are mass imported here, mm. that have a raised ethnic conscience and think they are superior and hate us, inflict mm. it on us. As soon as you turn around and say, well, they're victimizing me for being white. I wouldn't victimize them for being black. You're called a racist for just noticing that there is a racial tension mm. here. And actually, you should shut up and take it. And that is implicit in the fact that they would not platform said suffering women of Pakistani rape gangs, but they do turn around and give this woman a fair write-up for saying we should get rid of all the foreigners by force. Not good, but, but there you go. I also just wanted to make the point that um, the ethnic tensions we have seen play out recently that show there is no black solidarity is also happening in New York and Chicago because of all the forced busing where suddenly a bunch of the native black residents go, hang on, why is this a sanctuary city? Why are you sending all of these Hispanics up here? Actually, there are, there are substantive welfare concerns. There are house prices. There is crime. And it's like, ah, okay, the intersectional coalition only goes as far as Gibbs. Mm. That makes perfect sense. They, they do have quite an intersectional structure, though, because as we've seen, there's quite a lot of black women in the leadership. Um, this does mean that during the documentary, one of their strategies to scare the foreigners is to twerk at them. Sorry, what? They sing, we show their arses to the foreigners, and they shake their bums at the camera. I was reliably informed by Lizzo in a TED talk that <laughs> twerking is in the bones of people of African descent, so I'm not going to question their cultural practices. All cultures are beautiful, especially this one.
the African EDL. Uh, yes. <laughs> their, their weapon of choice is twerking. Yes. Right. Return to okay. tradition. Sure. All right. <laughs> it, it's like a ratchet hacker. Anyway, Zondele Dabula, who was voted in as president of Operation Dadula in June 2023, see, they're a democracy, is calm, charismatic, and empathetic, emphatic about the group's message. What a write up. You would not get um, certain members of the EDL. Mr. Called... Robinson is an emphatic and supporter of his message. Yeah. Mark Collett is calm, charismatic, and emphatic. <laughs> well, that's not true, to be fair. No, exactly. <laughs> but you wouldn't get that either. Foreigners are the root cause of South Africa's economic hardship, she says. When it is put to her that this campaign is solely based on hate, she tells the BBC, we must be realistic here that most of the problems that we have are caused by the influx of foreign nationals. Our country is a mess. Foreign nationals are working on a 20-year plan of taking over South Africa. So... It's yeah, that's, that's the real thing that made South Africa, South Africa downhill, didn't it? It's okay to talk about great replacement conspiracy theories if it's Africans talking about other Africans. Yeah. Charismatic, they said. This is state media that we're looking at, just to remind ourselves. Yep. It's the British Broadcasting Corporation. And this is something I've noticed many a time. We care about foreigners way more than we do our own people. That's our state religion. Yep. Some kind of minoritarian mindset. And, and you're absolutely right to point it out. Even the state media will come here and do this. This isn't some private corporation that's infected with woke ideology. This is the state's message, which is if it's a foreigner, well, then we care about their rights and their replacement. When it's domestic, shut up and take it. Yes. When challenged on the veracity of this supposed 20-year plan, she admits it was a rumor, but she says it believes it's true. You see drugs everywhere, and most of the drug addicts are South African rather than foreign nationals. So what's happening? Are they feeding our own brothers and sisters so it can be easy for them to take over, she says? Again, I have to disavow that conspiracy theory. Well, Mr. Robinson told me that in Luton, it used to be the case that you weren't allowed to sell drugs around the mosque. Right. Apparently, that order is now broken down because there's just too much uh, demographic change. Right. Okay. So, wouldn't wouldn't that be a uh, deserve that ethnic tension there deserve a, a write up by the BBC? You would think because they are the British Broadcasting Corporation, right? You would think that they would focus on that at home. I'm sure they'll get round to it. Um, just to let you know, they want to register as a formal political party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And then now, now I want to see this. Yeah, de- I want to see the posters. Deport the foreigners and hang pedos is probably going to be quite a <laughs> popular platform. Zipolas. <laughs> yes. um, bear in mind, this is at the time that Nelson Mandela's party has dropped below 50% in projected election polls. So that's uh, one terrorist group being replaced by another. Hundreds of supporters have travelled to attend its first national conference in Johannesburg in May, where members voted to register the group as a political party. According to South African law, registering a party doesn't mean it will automatically qualify to contest an election. It has hoops to go through. Operation Dadula does not have a manifesto. I don't think it needs one. I think we're all sold. Or any policy other than its stance on foreigners. <laughs> Though Mrs. Dabula maintains it has a presence in every province except Northern Cape. Supporters of the new party who spoke to the BBC appear to genuinely want things to be fixed in their communities. That's, Imagine that. That's not me editorialising. That's what the BBC have said. The BBC are saying, well, they seem like decent guys. But yeah, they might accuse all foreigners of being drug peddling, being here illegal, and they might want to pour petrol on them and set them alight. Yeah, like the, but they made good sandwiches. The EDL never called for violence. Yeah. They called for deportations of rapists. And they got completely demonized. But these guys who are literally calling for violence are okay. And we're having to pay for According it. to the state. They reflect a change of mood in South Africa's political landscape with people fed up with the status quo. But if you voted for a Trump, you are a victim of Russian dis- disinformation and you're a racist. And we will not give you a fair hearing. Now vote the doula. Yes. 
And I just thought I'd go back to the go back to the trailer just to finish on a on a fun little clip. Um, just to show what these people have been up to. This whole write-up saying they were decent people concerned about issues in their communities was written after this was recorded and edited. And um, let's see if they're decent people and see if there might be some um, immigrant anti-immigrant groups concerned about demographic change in the UK that might not resort to these tactics that might get less favorable coverage. Go to the next one, please, John. A so-called Operation Dudula Task Force is going to confront a local shopkeeper who they say is in a dispute with his landlady over rent. Do you have a relevant document to be in South Africa? Mamela, where's the papers of this business? Bring the papers, put the papers the shopkeeper is forced to sign an agreement, giving him two months to leave the premises. This is vigilantism. This one? Yes. You're not a judge, yeah. you're not a policeman, you're not a lawyer, yeah. but you just try to hold a hearing. Since you intervened, you made sure there's a peace. Well, you threatened him and you didn't really give him a real option. I was there, I saw yeah. it. You're not vigilant. He is illegally here. If he was not here, you wouldn't never like have this, uh, this problem. If I might just suggest something, if the government is truly concerned about the emergence of vigilante groups on its streets, be it in South Africa or be it in the UK, just enforcing immigration law would do a hell of a lot to stop that happening. Well, sorry, go on. Well, I just think, of course, I don't endorse any vigilante tactics or any extra legal activity as we're seeing here in South Africa, but it is a symptom of a wider problem. Don't expect people to have their kids peddle drugs by foreigners who shouldn't be here and just sit back and not take action. Well, that was my immediate thought is this is what happens yep. when the authorities don't actually enforce the law, especially on something as, as clearly emotionally uh, fraught yes, as this. And I think that, again, this is not to endorse this kind of behavior in the slightest, um, but you know, I think it's sure. only a matter of time before you start to see more of this stuff in other places. Yes. On our own soil, probably, especially with the recent plan that because the Conservatives have dipped in the polls, they're going to shut down a bunch of migrant hotels mm. and move them where? Well, that's, that's, that was my question. They're not saying they're going to deport them. No, they're just going to move them. Well done. Way well, this was Jonathan based. Gullis yesterday on the Talk TV breakfast show. Yeah. Nicola Thorpe actually did a really good job questioning him. And she said, all right, so you're moving them out of your constituency because you're worried about your seat. Where are they going? And he just rattled off a pre-prepared speech. And you know what? I'm, I don't even dislike Gullis. He's part of the New Conservatives. Some of the New Conservatives are actually trying to do a good thing. But he just doesn't have the balls to turn around and say, you know what? Yeah, the government is prepared to deport them yet. Yeah? I want them all gone because they have no right to be here. Mm. And as an MP, I will push for the government to deport them until they do it. Mm. You can just say, yeah, I'm going to hold the government to their own standards. But he's so worried about keeping his career because mm. the front bench is against him and also retaining his seat because all of his voters hate him that he's caught like a rat in a trap. And so if the politicians don't represent your interests, you're going to get that. Mm. And, and that's not a good thing. That no, is not a good thing. You don't want thing. that in your country. But the BBC certainly won't give a sympathetic write-up to the English version of it. And I know it's redundant to point it out, but um, I'm pointing it out because, again, we have to pay for it. So thanks very much. Um, if you hate foreigners, move to South Africa, I guess. And then be hated. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Swings around about. They're probably civic nationalists. It's all about values, guys. 
<clears throat> so, it has been one year since Rishi Sunak entered the office of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Right. And what a year it's been. Has, has it? <laughs> Wholly unremarkable. Well, that's the thing, you know, what has, what has actually happened this year? So, you know, there's, there's been an enormous amount of uh, nothing is what it feels like. It just feels like British politics is in a tailspin. It feels very much like, and we will get onto this, it feels like the last days, I mean, I wasn't alive at this time, but looking at the coverage of it, it feels like the last days of the John Major government. And I know that's a very easy comparison to make, um, but that's also the way that the press are framing it, um, which is quite interesting. I wonder if the defeat is going to be that seismic, because it mm. currently is projected to be so. I think, and this might be dark framing, but knowing the political opportunists at work in the front bench and advisors of the Conservative Party, they were probably clapping their hands with glee when the Hamas attack happened because it is a cudgel with which to beat the Labour Party with the anti-Semitism stick, yep. even after Keir Starmer has tried to look less anti-Semitic because they have a bunch of Islamists in their party. And so that might actually soften the electoral blow if it looks like Labour are just your enemy. It's quite possible. I mean, I think the fundamental question is whether they are going to run with Rishi Sunak into the next election. Because I think it's... I, do you think that? I, I think, think they will. I, I think it's all up for grabs. I think, I think they will. And then I think it will be Farage Patel in 2026. I mean, hey, we can only hope. The energy at Conservative Party conference, I can't tell you. Like, mm. Again, I haven't been, been back to talk about it since, it since it happened. But you and Carl did a fantastic segment on it. Farage would not have been there a couple of years ago. Mm. He was there to present his GB News show, yeah. When he showed up on day one, everyone swarmed around him. We were Rockstar. lucky enough to, to talk to him first. Mm. Very, very considerate of him. He was partying with a bunch of MPs, pretty much all the prominent advisors, like Matt Goodwin and the like, at the GB News party on the night. There is an energy around Farage that there was not around Rishi Sunak to the point of when, mm. when Rishi was asked, he was like, well, we won't rule it out. And it came down to cuck Greg Hands, who wants a 50-50 gender split in Parliament, to turn around and say, no, Nigel Farage will not. We are totally behind Rishi Sunak. Well, if Rishi Sunak says maybe, even Rishi Sunak isn't behind Rishi yeah. Sunak at this point. Yeah. So I think it will happen. Before we begin, I will point you towards Bo's article here, The Crowning Conservative Crime, which is extremely good. It's a premium article, so you should sign up to read that. Um, but could, I mean, you couldn't get two more different politicians than Nigel Farage and Rishi Sunak. Yes. Nigel Farage, you know, I, I sort of... I'm not totally sure about him personally. I've never, I've never met the guy. Um, I think that he is, on the whole, probably a force for good. But there is, I do have this slight sense about him that he is, he's a bit of a merchant. He's a bit of a media guy. There's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain something about him that I don't quite get. Um, that I don't quite trust, maybe. Um, Trump's kind of the same, though. Yes. No, he's very much cut from the same cloth as Trump. Um, so I think that we don't have another Caesar figure at the moment. Yeah. And that's, and that's you know, if you, you think, who else is there in British politics, mainstream British politics, who has the profile, who has the connections, who has the, um, the, you know, the charisma, the personality to you know, lead an actual right-wing uh, government. Yes. There's no one else. Um, you know, for, for better or worse, there is no one else. Um, but then you look at Rishi Sunak, who, uh, again, has just completed his first absolutely nondescript year in office, and you think, well, anything would be better than this. Yes. Um, I mean, it's interesting to look at um, you know, Sunak's five pledges that he made when he entered office and how they've <laughs> Felt the progress, yeah, the progress made on those. So it was halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce the national debt, cut hospital waiting lists, and stop the boats. Okay, well, the first one is a real misnomer mm -hmm. because inflation is a rate of change metric. Go watch Dan's Brokenomics on that to understand more. So inflation is not cutting prices by half. Yeah. Inflation is cutting the fact that the prices keep going up by half compared to last year. Yeah. And how they did that in the numbers was around May, they said inflation's dropped drastically. Well, yeah, because compared to last April is when you put the price freeze in for energy bills. 
So we're still paying to cap that through our tax, but it's just that the energy bills didn't go up, so suddenly it looks like there's a massive price drop off. So they're yeah. just fudging the numbers. They're yeah. gaslighting. And interestingly enough, that is the only of the only one of the five that they have succeeded in. Yes. But for, you know, for the reasons you've just let's just laid out, it's a completely sort of uh it's just playing playing with numbers. It's Carlisle's line with statistics. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, grow the economy. I mean, it's grown by 0.5% in the last year. I'm really uh, glad we battery okay. farmed all those Africans, guys. Yeah, hang on. The economy growing 0.5%. I mean, that's zero either way. Yeah. But per capita, what's happened? Well, that, I mean, yeah. That, and that's not per capita, by the way. Because that's the problem every time. It's like, well, we've grown the economy 0.5% by importing a million human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the real effect of the economy is it's shrunk by a percentage. Yeah. Because now we're having to divide it between these people and mm-hmm. uh, everyone's got less money as a result. Yeah. Well, you can even increase goods, uh, decrease, and therefore decrease the cost of goods. You can increase productivity, which has stagnated since the late 90s because something happened. Or you can increase the population. We're not increasing the population through birth rates because see above. So, all right, Tom, Dick, and Abdul have to occupy the hotel down the road. So the line keeps going up. Yeah. Um, reducing the national debt. Um, it's now at 2.6 trillion, which is uh, 98% of the GDP. We're definitely paying that back. Hey, great. And I know, by the way, I keep bringing up sort of uh, GDP and growth and all that. I'm not actually in favor of using that, you know, of, of thinking yeah. about the country in that way at all. Yeah. How these, stand- are, these are the terms that mainstream politics, t- politicians use. Wouldn't it be nice if instead they said, I'm going to increase standard of living by doubling mm. in 10 years? Yeah. But that hasn't happened, yeah. sure. Or, or the metric of the well-being of a country being how many healthy families do we have? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, our birth rates are in the toilet. Do we want to examine that? Do we want to see something wrong with it? Like there are some, again, there are some MPs that are doing something about it. They've got an event in Parliament just after the ARC mm. thing. They're inviting Stephen Shaw, who I interviewed on this channel, to actually get to grips with the problem. Are any of the front bench caring about it? Nah, I'll be fine. Like, what is the point of being in government if your goal of your entire career is to increase the number of red M&Ms served in Parliament? It's just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to anyone. Well, how many stocks do you personally have in red M&Ms? Fair point. Mm. These people. Um, cutting hospital waiting lists uh, now at 7.75 million officially, um, although unofficial estimates are as high as 20 million. Well, they are putting through assisted dying, so that might make a dent. A Canada solution. Yeah, Wonderful. Genuine. Yeah. Yes. Have you, have you not if seen there's one that's... country we want to be more like, it's Canada. Yeah, the electorate stop whining when you kill them. <laughs> I mean, Rishi Sunak does look a little bit like Trudeau doing blackface. Well, he's very much of the same of the same uh, class as Trudeau, by which I mean he is just this plastic globalist character. Yeah, he's a, he's a metrosexual beta male. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only time he's ever been funny is when he once said he gave his spiel at the hustings, which he lost, um, and he interjected, I once took a photo of someone's baby and I said, oh, finally, someone my size. It's like, yeah, you are a manlet. Yeah. Yay. Great. You hear him uh, discussing how to get the Assassin's Creed legendary skin with Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> no. I'm not joking. Yeah, that was reported like the other week. Of yeah. Discussing how bin to- Salman's a massive gamer. Yeah. I'm sure he says the word. He probably does. Yes. He's Arab. Yes. Wow. And number five, stop the boats. I mean, no. what is that to say? The weather's made a little bit of a dent, yeah. but okay, yeah. great. So, 26,000 this year. Yeah, this is why I'm so in favor of climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More carbon. <laughs> yeah, some of the typhoons. Um, yeah, but um, it's interesting to sort of look through the, uh, the media coverage of this. Now, I've only, I've only got a couple of articles up here, but the general trend is very negative. And that's not surprising because for one thing, he is a bad prime minister. Yeah. For another, he's a conservative, so he's always going to have an uphill battle with the, you know, against the media. Yeah, you're not a commie enough. Yeah. But I do find it's interesting because I don't, you know, in what way does Rishi Sunak in his actions meaningfully, meaningfully differ from the types of, you know, the journalists that make up these organizations? You know, he's pro-open borders. He's an internationalist. He's like you know, pro-mass immigration. 
um, pro-Ukraine, like on every um, issue, he is as establishment as you can get. Can define a woman? But that's the thing. You get him, you know, him and his ilk will throw out the odd, oh, women are women, am I right, guys? How based? And it's like, okay, you've picked, for one, you've picked the most low-hanging fruit, safe, like edgy thing you could possibly say that was completely like, that is a fact. And it's just, it, I, I find it really frustrating when, you know, these mainstream politicians choose to comment on particularly, you know, woke stuff because it's like, oh, well done. You know, you can, you can state things that everybody knew five minutes ago. You're about as reactionary as JK Rowling's. I'm not going to clap. Exactly. Yeah. And then all of the other cabinet members mm. in your front bench, like Michael Gove, say we need to dismiss divisive culture wars. Yeah. It's like, right, okay, so progressivism, back to business. But outside of the fact that Rishi Sunak wears a blue tie, in what way is he not their guy? Even then, he takes it off and looks like Tony Blair. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's because he is basically the... I, I was going to get into this in a little bit, but have you ever, you two ever watched The Thick of It? Uh, bits and pieces. So there's a, there's a bit in that where one of the characters is talking to a minister um, about how essentially she was like, you know, so far down the list of candidates um, to pick for this position. And he says, uh, you know, you remember the big breakfast with uh, Chris Evans, you know, season one and two, it was Chris Evans and it was great. Prime time, everyone was watching. You get to season 10 and they brought in the dinner lady to, to, to host the show and nobody's watching. That's what Rishi Sunak feels like to me. It's you had... In 97, you had New Labour, you had Blair, and there was, and it, like, for, for better or worse, this yeah. is just, you know, I'm just observing the reality. There was energy, you know, there was, there was excitement around politics. Things can only get better and all the rest of it, right? And now you're on season 10 where it's the random, like the random bank manager from down the road is in charge of the country. A man who should, who should never have got to a position that he is in now, hmm. but he's in charge of everything. Well, and it's interesting as well, on that subject very quickly, a lot of the press you know, of, you know, the very mainstream press, they are picking up on the fact that he is essentially just a middle, middle manager type character. Um, and I think that that's interesting because that's a, that's a criticism that people on our side of things have made since day one. Yeah, he feels like the branch head of a global Yes. Um, one of the things as well to mention is that it's not just Blair, it started with Thatcher. Mm. And this is why the Tory party is infested with zombie Thatcherism, mm. even with the types that I quite like, like David Frost. Mm he still positions it within the progressive material growth paradigm is the only way we can get out of things. Yeah. Like Daniel Hannan and, and Steve Baker and the like of where they think just adjusting tax rates will allow the magic soil to become even more fertile and transform all of these people that hate our fundamental way of life into being productive and incorporated citizens. And it's just like, okay, if you can't create growth and that's your only metric, what use do you have? No wonder people are just going, well, I'll just vote for red team. Yeah. Um, but this is the point. The media are very, you know, they, the general trend is very negative. Um, and again, I do think that's interesting because I think he is their guy. I mean, if he was where, if he was Labour, you know, would he be getting the kind of slating he's getting? It would be no. You know, he's trying his best, and he's, you know, he's very progressive, and you know, the rest of it. Well, is. that's the weird thing about the media is, of course, mm. even if you get Team Blue in this case, mm. our country being conservatives, standing up and doing everything they want. Obviously, everything goes bad because what they want is a terrible idea. Mm. And in which case, it's just a good sacrificial lamb. Yes. I think that's and that, what that ultimately is, is, was my take. And, and that is basically that Rishi Sunak is just, uh, ultimately, he's like a, I think how best to put this. He's, again, in, in the same way as we talked about this in the previous segment, he's playing a character. You know, he's playing a character in the theater production of our politics, the, you know, the kind of kayfabe um, we see. His role is to be is to be rubbish, is to be bad. He's the continuity um, candidate, that's yeah, it. Like, exactly. he, he, he was parachuted in mm. to a safe seat and then parachuted into the treasury and parachuted mm. into the prime ministership because the Bank of England want to do fintech. Yes. And he's their guy. Yeah. That's it. 
Um, but I mean, this Mirror article says um, sleaze, rows, and U-turns characterize Rishi Sunak's first year. Um, and I mean, you could have just changed that for Boris or Cameron. Well, this or... is the thing. This is the playbook that's always run with when a when a conservative is a conservative prime minister is failing because they ran the exact same thing. Oh, if we uh, yes, um, this was the big. You know, this was the big narrative around 1997 when John Major's government was. Uh, oh coming right, out. I thought Sleaze was going to be Boris. That's yeah. fascinating. Well, what does that tell you? You know, yeah. um, but Sleaze was very much the uh, the flavour that was left in people's mouths by the John Major government, from what I've been able to gather. Um, I don't know whether that is going to be the case with the Rishi Sunak government because I think that it's just a general sense of. These people are just useless. Like it's not sleep. I don't think people think of sleeves. I certainly don't think of sleeves. Like you've had, sure, you've had David Warburton go. You had um, Peter uh, Bone this week. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of going over my head. What the hell does sleeves even mean? Uh, um, being lecherous or like yeah, creepy. Gross. Like I'm reading these examples, and some random guys in the government did something. Yeah. Okay. What's, what? It's just a, a a general trend of moral repugnancy. Yeah. Okay. So the accusation is, well, if you're leading from the top, then why aren't you some kind of role model? Mm. Bunch of weird class upper class individuals uh, got into government and then turned out to be weirdos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm shocked. These yeah. people whose initiation ceremony at Oxford is bumming a pig mm. aren't the was best found to guys. be indecent on Hampstead Heath. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, he bums pigs for fun. Like, yeah. It's like it's a Neil Neil. Parish, wasn't it? Mm. That said, oh, I've accidentally brought up porn the first time in the yeah, <laughs> and then the second time I just got curious. Yeah, but <laughs> right, okay, um, you got a payout probably. Mm. I hate you. And one thing I will say is, like, accusing politicians of sleaze is like accusing the sky of being blue. Like, you know, my, I know I, you spend time in Westminster, as do I. And one thing that you learn and when you spend time in that place is that this stuff is ubiquitous. <laughs> it's everywhere. Everyone is doing coke. Everyone is banging each other. Allegedly, and, allegedly. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. And I'm na you know, naming no in Minecraft. Names. Yeah, in Minecraft and all the rest of it. But um, what do you mean? They said it publicly. Well, you remember? Well, yeah. they said they did. That doesn't mean they're doing. It's not like they're definitely doing it. Oh yeah, that footage of Michael Gove totally looks normal, bro. He's oh, he's totally not had anything, bro. Having a good time. There's no Colombian marching powder involved. No, no, no. But you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like it's it's just it's quite a. It's a cheap like play to accuse a government of being sleazy because it's like, yeah, 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 that's what Westminster is. So Westmin Everyone there is like that. The Westminster bubble exists to preserve the lifestyles of those living in it. It yeah. doesn't exist to do politics. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but anyway, the point is, as I say, one of the takes that the media are making is that his government is characterized by sleaze and all the rest of it, which is, uh, again, it's just interesting how that is following the playbook of 1997 because that's you know, alongside many other things that are happening here. I mean, Labour quite explicitly following that playbook, you know, and trying to appeal to the center and all the rest of it. Tough on the crime, tough on the causes of crime, yeah, yeah. being a blessed yeah. slogan. All that. Um, again, just more sort of more takes on this, very little to celebrate. Um, the worst moments. Um, and I did want to get on to, um, if we could just close that. I wanted to get on to just a, you know, we because we can slag off Rishi Sunak and the Tories all day, and we do. And it's, it's always fun. fun. And it's always fun. But I thought that it would, might it might be a little bit more interesting to have more of a constructive discussion um, about what exactly, if, if Rishi Sunak is such a bad leader, yes. well, what should he be doing? What should, a, what is a good leader? Um, and I think that, you know, I said about uh, Rishi Sunak being the dinner lady brought in for season 10 of The Big Breakfast. Um, and I think that's because he is what Mike from Imperium Press would call a tyric figure. Like he's very much a, a sort of maintainer 
character, just profoundly mediocre, doesn't actually have, he's not a particularly original uh, thinker in any way. Um, whereas, again, someone like Tony Blair, love him or hate him, he was what Mike would call an Odinic figure. You know, somebody who was a, a creator and a destroyer. Somebody who did, the paradigm. Yeah, who did go, a, basically, who, who went beyond the system and, and behaved like a dictator, frankly. You know, was willing to wield ex executive authority um, and fundamentally change the way that our politics work in this country. Um, and Rishi Sunak is just the, he's like a sort of... Um, he's a bag holder. Yeah, he's, a, he's like, if you had like a, it's a bit of a weird metaphor, but if you had like an ink sort of stamp of Tony Blair, hmm. you'd have the original one, and then you'd go along and go, and it would become more and more faded yes. to the point yeah. where, say again? It's the dinner lady again. Yeah, so, you know, to where it is just this sort of like rubbish, faded version of this original figure. It's Plato's uh, accusation of art. When you make a form of a form of a form of a form, yes. form the, it starts to deteriorate in quality. Yes. Yes. And by the way, that's not me saying that I want <laughs> I want the real deal back because the real deal You're not deal taking is, the AA position. Yeah, no. The real deal is the problem in the first place, obviously. Um, but I think that this kind of an Odinic figure is is basically what's necessary in British politics at this point to just sweep away the the rubbish that was left by the previous one um, and impose essentially a new way of doing politics in our country. Um, and I don't mean, you know, a super sort of radical change, like an ideological um sort of application of ideology to the government. No, I'm talking about a man who embodies the kind of perennial values um, that someone like Thomas Carlyle identified in uh, on Heroes. So it is this kind of, it's an absolute sincerity, it's vision, courage, decisiveness, a sense of history, uh, you know, a sense of destiny for himself and for the country. Also, um, um, a lack of desire to be liked by the other side. Yes. They're never going to. Yes. This is something I was trying to hit at with the whole GB News kerfuffle. Mm. It's like these people wanted you dead since day one. Why yeah. are you playing by their handbook? Yeah. And so what, what should have been done with the majority that Boris won, and Boris was not the person to do so, but go in, ditch the Supreme Court that Tony Blair imposed mm. upon us, institute a kind of Washington-style law that allows you to clear out the permanent mandarins in Whitehall. Because even if you lose the next election, you can rotate the staff out of Whitehall afterwards, shrink all the departments, and just say, no, we are deporting you. You, you, Yeah, we're leaving the ECHR, yeah. we're leaving the United Nations, we're not going to become the fourth biggest funder anymore, and we're just going to kick all of these criminals out. Yeah. But they don't because they're afraid of being called racist. Boris was no great man. No. He did not, he just didn't have the stones for it. He didn't possess the will. And I think, you know, we back to Farage, Again, do I think that he is a great man of history? I don't think so. I don't think he quite has that level of gravitas. But do I think that he has the will to do some of this stuff? Mm. I think barring any major um, roadblocks to that, yes, I think he does. Yep. Um, so, you know, we can only hope for the, <laughs> the Odinic Farage to come in in 2026. I think the only thing that would possibly derail his path to becoming leader of the Conservative Party is actually if Trump wins and Trump offers him to be ambassador to the UK. Well, possibly, yeah. Because that was on the cards before. Mm. So. Yeah, no, that would be that would be very interesting, but uh, yeah, not good for our politics. No. Um, but then uh, that's America for you. Um, <clears throat> so you're going to get so many comments from that again. I always do. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, Americans. I'm just teasing. Um, so anyway, the point is, Rishi Sunak is a bad leader. A good leader is someone who embodies the values, uh, you know, everything that Rishi Sunak is not. Because Rishi Sunak is a he's a maintainer. He's a careerist. He's mediocre. Doesn't possess any particular. Um, personality or charisma, whereas the you know the great leader embodies all of those things, um, and fundamentally has a sincere and uh, sentimental connection to the place that he's ruling, hmm. which Rishi Sunak clearly does not. Well, we had this debate in a pub a little yeah. while ago, and and uh, there was a guy there. That was, was funny. That was very because <laughs> he was a really nice guy, but yeah. he was totally uninitiated in. Hmm. 
our sort of sphere of thinking. He Very much a Tory. This yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't thinking of the Prime Minister as a kind of metic figure. Mm. He was thinking him as the party man. As a manager. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone to steward the decline, frankly. Yeah. And we were saying, no, he should embody these kinds of values. And is he enmeshed in the tradition? Mm. And does he think of himself as someone who could live anywhere else? Mm. Clearly, Richard Sunak does because he was applying for US citizenship as part of Goldman Sachs yeah. right before he became a politician. Something that David... Um, Oh my God, um, historian. Starkey. Starkey got in trouble for, yeah, favorite autist. Um, mine. Good guy. Well, yeah, you're his type. Um, <laughs> so he, at the coronation coverage, turned around and said, well, we have a prime minister who has not grown up in our constitutional tradition. He does not share the national religion. And so mm. that might be a problem with his ability to conduct himself yeah. at the coronation ceremony. And that's why it felt so out of place to see him reading Bible quotes as a practicing Hindu, yeah. right? It's because he doesn't believe it. So that inauthenticity bleeds through. And so when we say we want someone brought up in the culture as an Englishman who can't live anywhere else, we're not necessarily making a like surface level racial point. We're not saying, brown skin, you can't do it. Because I'd happily elect Calvin Robinson tomorrow. It's, does Rishi Sunak feel like the leader of England? No. no. He feels like he could be staffing any of the global constituencies anywhere else. And that's why I don't feel represented. Yeah. Representation matters. Yes, it does. And, you know, but again, with that conversation, we're just straight back to racist. And it's just so, you know, tired and pathetic at this point. Um, but to conclude, um, there is another solution offered by the Telegraph. Right. Okay. What if we just pick another manager? Now, well, well, yeah, what, now, what if, but what on, if we uh, had a brown woman? Can I just say the Is that uh, the line they're actually going for? Since, well, look since, at the bloody thumbnail. Since I put this Charlie's link, Angels meets the yeah. Terminator. Since I linked, the, uh, I put this link in the document. The uh, headline has actually changed. It's quite interesting. All oh, right, what was the other one? Um, so it was, uh, it was. Brown I think it was. Well, it was Rish, It was something like Rishi is leading the Tories to a catastrophic defeat. Let's let the women take over. Oh. It was literally just that. Um, John's looking yeah, at John the archive to see archive. if someone's yeah. safe. Well, uh, again, like, they're... Yeah, sure. they're, yeah literally. <laughs> it's not crash. Oh, there. Oh, great. Thanks, yeah. Alison. Yeah, no, no, no thanks. Because, again, like, I've, I've, I've met Patel and Braverman. They're nice enough. And I do think that they have the best intentions at heart. Mm. I think they're thoroughly incompetent in dealing with Whitehall. Mm. And it's because it's actually really hard to get anywhere that executive power willing to uproot Whitehall and circumvent yeah. all of these laws and international commitments, yeah. which are hamstringing us into the global hegemony. Mm. And Badnock might well be able to articulate a takedown of Kimberly Crenshaw do I see her as an effective prime minister? No, no. Sorry, oh, so I think if you picked her because she's a brown woman, she might spit in your eye. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah true. Yeah, the only heuristic for selection is going against her values there. So, yeah, but um, so, I, 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 I kind of don't think this is the solution. Sorry, controversial well, take. Yeah, that, that that being said, I am willing. find me the brownest woman. That'll solve everything. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, if you did pick Patel, she'll go like, great. Okay, so I'm going to step aside. Hi, Nigel. Because mm. there is a reason they were doing karaoke together at the yeah. conference. Yeah. But this is the interesting thing. I don't know. I think it might actually have been Dan that made this point. That it is interesting that it's left to these three people to be the, the vanguard of conservatism in the Conservative Party. Because it is, it's kind of, it's as if they are afforded the ability to actually be conservative yeah. um, by dint of their immutable characteristics. Yeah. Because... Whereas, you know, others in the party would be accused of, you know, yeah, the, like list off the you know, list off the names if they said the same things as these people. Yeah, and if you operate in the liberal paradigm, which actually um, Braverman and that do, because mm. at National Conservative Conference, she got up and said that 
Britain has defined British values are democracy, tolerance, and a sense of universal human dignity. And it's like, no, that's just no. that's just liberalism. Yeah. Um, but it's only possible to have these women be said vanguard because all of the other conservatives are so weak-willed and spineless mm. that they're afraid of being accused of being prejudicial. So I don't want to burn a bridge, but there is one MP who is very familiar with us, all of whose staffers like us, who invites me to events personally, who's spoken with me before. And then as soon as I've mentioned about coming on the channel to even discuss um, the work that they've put out commercially recently, they'll go, oh, uh, uh, we'll wait and see. Mm. And it's been basically confirmed mm, yeah. that he is petrified of anything that isn't establishment media, even though he's pushing at the fringes of said party. It's just, I mean, it's just like Rory Stewart saying to Ash Sarkar, we're not all evil. Oh, for Better. God's sake, yeah. Why do you want to placate to communists? Exactly. Like, why are they? Why do they hold the standard? You know, why are you trying to impress them? Yeah, they should. They, they you know, <laughs> I've seen what makes them applaud. Yes. Their booze need mean nothing to me, and all that. Anyway, a year since Rishi Sunak entered office, and you know what's happened. The country's gotten worse. But then, frankly, I think that anybody who was in that seat, barring the kind of great man figure that I was talking about, they were always going to have a pretty rough time of it because the country's just going in a bad direction right now, unfortunately. And there's a kind of momentum behind that negative energy um, that I don't think is going to let up anytime soon, basically until we do have a, an actual leader with some will and some, uh, some conviction and some sincerity. So um, there we are. Right, with that, video comments then, I suppose. Um, hi, Lotus Eaters. Um, love the show and look forward to sending in more video comments telling you about what I'm up to in my art studio and uh, asking questions about the awesome things that you guys are doing. I really love your work. That's some Very of mine. Impressive. Very nice. I'm told horses are one of the hardest things to draw, so that is very good. If you want to send some art that's featured around the company as well, Carl, to be put in the merch story, mm. I don't think he'd be upset, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, 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 we, should, we should definitely talk to George Alex Alexopoulos about something at some point. That'd be really good. Go to the next one. It was nice to see Helen Dale back on the podcast. To answer the curiosity, I do software and games normally, but I also help train a few local graduates most years. Some of them were concept artists, so I needed a project that would be meaningful for them. That's the reason for the RPG book. That one was really sick of D&D. Alright, fair enough. I've never played D&D. Neither. Um, Paul loves it. Yeah, I've been told it's good fun if you've got drinks and friends. Uh, I've, it's saying that I've just opened a can of worms, haven't I? Because there's going to be a bunch of comments now saying D and D lads are, and then now <laughs> I'm going to be clipped into a into a video comment saying "Do it, Connor," and it's just going to be the infinite regression of requests. Yeah. Oh, we'll do that after we've done Mario Kart. Yeah, and Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Yeah, yeah, I get to rip everyone's heads off. <laughs> Actually, good at that game. So, anyway, sorry, Callum. For the written comments. <laughs> Matt Thompson says, question for Connor. Yes. I know you've done deep dives on feminist thinkers like Simon de Boulevard. Simone. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> French, I can't read it. Have you looked in, into or down anything on... Uh, John Paul Sartre. There we are. I'm reading Fools, Frauds and Firebrands and his metaphysics is the most sloppiest, angsty, cynical, depressing, lonely metaphysics I've ever encountered. Okay, I've read bits and pieces of his stuff on colonialism and his stuff on anti-Semitism. I would need quite a bit of time to compile a sort of full read-through, um, but I know that he is an awful, dysgenic degenerate who coerced his students basically into sleeping with him to get good grades. I was going to say, uh, I've never read any Sartre, but physiognomy doesn't lie. Absolutely checks out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, did, so did your tweet the other day about yeah. physiognomy checks yeah. out. Go follow Charlie on Twitter. He's based. 
Uh, the French guy also says, uh, Connor, to explain my Japanese de degeneracy comment the other day, whilst, yes, the streets are clean and whatnot, the degeneracy comes from the huge porn prostitution and hosting industry. A yep. shocking percentage of Japanese women have done one of those. Uh, are, you are you familiar with the hosting bars? I've heard about it, but I, I don't know if that percentage... I'd be interested to see the percentages. If you can send me something or link it under your comment, because I am going to do a segment on this next week. Um, yeah, link it for research purposes. Did, so did you, uh, did you do a bit of uh, first-hand research when you were in Japan? No, because why the fuck would I pay for women to talk to me? I don't need to. <laughs> like, I, that's, uh, that's one of the saddest things in the world. I don't want to be too contemptuous, but like, why would you go and sit for someone who doesn't care about you to sit at your table and pose like an ornament while you're buying a drink? It's just a waste of money. Yeah, it's just it's just pissing it away. Like, just, just... you know, what you could do with that money, impress a real woman. Yeah, buy a gym membership and get a girlfriend. Anyway, Big or Bigfoot says, "What a strange time it is to be alive for woke Jews, ensnared by the very ideology they strive to appease. The left will slowly devour itself." I must admit, there have been a shocking number of uh, very funny videos of left-wing Jews who have gone and filmed people pulling down the posters. And be like, but we stood with BLM. Yeah. Like, you really have no idea, do you? Like, I'm just saying, like, call it not... the anti-Semitic remarks. <laughs> I just, there was actually a group of Jews who did sign up for the National Socialist uh, Workers' Party. And they used to go to... I remember hearing about this yeah, they, somewhere. There's the old joke about they used to chant down with us yeah. at the end of some of the meetings. But they, they ran a newspaper as well. And in uh, 1934, after a year of Hitler being elected as the Fuhrer, they actually wrote an article talking about the fact that well, the Germans have always been nice to us, and that's why we support the National Social Workers' Party. Um, although it has come at great expense, personally. <laughs> like That's the tagline. It's like, yeah, personal expense, a little bit, turns out. Um, uh, one, one small thing that I did add in a segment the other day as well. If you would prefer not to see the resurrection of the National Socialist German Workers' Party, I would suggest that you actually address concerns like mass immigration before it only seems to affect the safety and prosperity of Jewish people. Because, of course, we don't want random anti-Semitic attacks and rhetoric on the street because that's insane barbarianism. But when it only seems that mass immigration is a problem, when it threatens Jewish people, you legitimize said conspiracy theory. So maybe we should have dealt with this problem beforehand and we wouldn't be dealing with it. The only violence I want to see in the UK is Celtic and Protestants killing each other of uh, nonsense. That's that's all I want. If we're broadcasting in Scotland, we do not endorse sectarian <laughs> violence because that's actually illegal. No, of course I don't endorse the violence itself. But if I want to read the news, that's the only violence I want to read in the news. I don't want to read. Did you know the Hukma tribe and the Yukma tribe have now killed each other in Leicester. Wood Green? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> outside the Queen's house. Have you seen the? Like, uh, oh, not the Yukma tribe. I stood with them. Have you seen the Athelstan Ball game? By any chance? No, I haven't. That's traditional violence, right? I don't know if we can get a video up in the background, but basically, it's a competitive ball game that happens on the same day every year in the whole town of Atterston, and it's just men that gather, and anything is allowed to hold onto the ball. Like you're allowed to bite people's ears off and punch each other and things like that, and you win, I think, about a tenner for it. <laughs> and the ball is made of like, that's, leather. That's just some lads having fun. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> brutal. It's just unmitigated violence, but it's a tradition. We should go sometime. That'd be fun. <laughs> Anyway, Omar Awad says, looking at uh, Ethan now reminds me of when the Obama... What? Uh, when the Obama before the picks... Before and after picks were making the round. So before the presidency and after the presidency, how he got aged? Aged 40 years in eight. People of ugly character turn into people of ugly appearance. The twits rule. If, if yeah. Ethan looks like a terminal cancer patient on the outside, I dread to think what he's like on the inside. Well, the most important picks than the Michelle Obama before and after picks. Those aren't real. <laughs> That's faked. 
sadly. Like all of her pregnancy photos, which don't exist. General Haiping says H3H3 has Corbin syndrome, whereby you hang around with extremists and then wonder why everyone keeps calling you an extremist. Yeah, I did notice this year, uh, we're going to do the Labour Party stuff tomorrow, probably. It's been a bit of a depressing uh, version of watching Labour Party Conference, because last time, of course, there was a lot more young people. Yeah. And they're fun, because they're crazy. Right. And uh, this year, it's been a bunch of boring boomers talking about trade unions. But again, nothing that would help the world. They're talking about quite, that's quite a powerful strategy, though. He's purged the party for optics. Yeah, they're, they're talking about how the trade unions need to stop racist algorithms taking their jobs. Mm. So I'm not saying it's actually helping the world, but it's uh, but it's one thing for the party to be to, to be mental, but it's another thing for it to be boring. <laughs> what about, people will vote for boring. Yeah, what about the homophobic boring mental algorithms? rather than crazy and mm. entertaining mental? Have, have you guys seen the 90% accuracy AI gaydar thing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, what yeah. the like facial recognition? Yeah, yeah, yeah the wild. Yeah. So the Islamic Republic of AI algorithms is going to have an absolute field day with that one. What's kind of weird, though, is there was actually a story in like the 80s that found out that men on average can tell about 70% of the time just from a man's face if he's gay. Oh, yeah, gay face, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. But isn't that kind of weird that for some reason society has just kind of denied that, oh, there's no difference in people. It's like, I can literally tell if a guy's gay just by looking at him. Yeah. I don't know, it feels, feels like it should be a difference. Got one of those dick-sucking jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Norm Macdonald had that joke. It's the face of a man buried in another man's asshole. <laughs> that's how you tell. And that's Tory Party Conference. Yep. So Robert Longshaw says, I was a big fan of Ethan back in the day. Ethan warned, uh, was warned by loads of people about the audience he was courting and about what thing they seemed to think and what he found out the hard way. I do feel sorry for him. This might be an unpopular opinion, but someone may need to take him under their wing and guide him back to sanity, bring Vape Nation back. Yeah, if he actually did some vape nation stuff, might be. That's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, did you guys watch H3 back in the day? We're all Zoomers here. Yeah, the occasional thing. Yeah. Because like, I was never a huge follower. fan, but everyone knew who he was, like in my sort of circles. And he was, he was a funny, funny guy. Like, you know, sort of, you know, nothing amazing, but like he didn't, he didn't seem like a bad person, you know. But now he's just, again, he's just become this very, very seemingly damaged and weird individual. Lots of those figures have fallen from grace, though. Haven't you done, you've done a segment? I dubs. I dubs. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Not just his wife just being yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith. But they're good pals, interestingly enough, H3 and I dubs. Oh, right. That makes sense. Mm. Okay. I'm sure he's shared his wife's nudes all around the office. <laughs> you say that. It's probably... Oh, never mind. Uh, Ethelstead95 says, I believe Ethan's wife is actually an Israeli and did national service, so it's right. probably even more personal for him realizing who's his line mm. with. We should hope and pray that this opens the eyes and hearts of people politically against us as to what their ideologues truly mean, as support of vile slaughter, as decolonization, in quotes, and hatred of the West, as we have seen in London. Yeah, I mean, as I've said, I could probably sit here and make a pretty good argument for Palestine or Israel. It's, it's yeah. not impossible. I can definitely see why people end up siding with Palestine. But then there are the people who side with Palestine who are just genuinely mental people yep. and do it purely for either ideological nonsense or... I don't know. I just want to kill Jews. But there's a difference like, between huh. the Palestinian land dispute and siding with Hamas, I think. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest reveals of that is when nothing had happened from the Israelis to Gaza and the people in Israel had been killed and kidnapped. And in that time period, everyone in that time period that was screaming free Palestine, I think is rightfully suspect. Yes. It's just like, bro, what the hell? It, if you want to scream free Palestine when the Israelis are putting concrete in the Palestinians' wells, yeah. or some kid's been killed in crossfire, or they've bombed the beach and killed some civilians, like, yeah, there's plenty of instances where you could scream this and it makes sense as to why you're doing it. Screaming it after you've killed a bunch of kids yes. 
just makes you look, well, you are supporting killing a bunch of kids. That's yeah. all you're doing there. It was in the Hamas charter, so, so shock. Yeah, I, I just, th- th- there's one instance when you're dealing with the Muslim world, a whole different kettle of fish, but when you're dealing with the Western world and people do that, it's like, yeah, okay, you're not interested in, in freedom or, or even just sanctity of life. You literally just want to kill some people. Yeah, and reminder for Hope Not Hate who are currently clipping this, this is the man who's hung out with the Taliban, and even he thinks they're too, too, too far. The Taliban are moderate compared to those people. Also, Joe Biden supporters, which is a... Sensible centrists. Uh, Appleston, nice <laughs> Richard Spencer, the Taliban, Joe Biden are just like, yeah, finally. Bread <laughs> is a handshake, yeah. <laughs> Vigilantism will always arise in conflicts where the state does not fulfill its role as a neutral arbiter. Neutral mm. in quotes. Even worse is it that it tends to be the extremists that rise to the top in vigilante groups and drag everyone down to the worst levels of behavior. Just a fairly sensible observation. Neutral in quotes there is important, though. Yes. Because they are enforcing the value of actually you should be a law-abiding citizen and be incorporated into the culture. It's yeah. actually faux neutrality of multiculturalism that's yes. got us to this point. Kevin Fox, move to South Africa by all means. Just for God's sake, don't buy a farm. Sensible. Is that is that sensible? Well, who's moving to South Africa and is like, well, I'll live in the city. I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just watch District Nine and and, and avoid. Um, Brian Tomlinson, the South African racists are similar to the Chicago and New York racists. Well, yes, of course, because it's okay to hate foreigners if you're black and they're black. Richard Monik... Monikendum? Richard Monikendum. There we go. South Africa is the cause of five of South Africa's ills. Weak societies and guilty parties always point the finger elsewhere. Sure, I'm willing to believe that there's probably some foreign drug trafficking because that does happen quite frequently, but South Africa is hardly a model civilization. Mm. You know, boiling people alive. Athelstan again, it does seem like the 2020s are like the 1920s and 30s. It's seeing a rise in nationalism, the scary kind and not the positive patriotic kind that C.S. Lewis talks about. It's an angry nationalism response to engineered globalism rather than the groundswell support for international dependency. Hard to not to anticipate significant conflict in the near future beyond the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Uh, nationalism is healthiest when it's grounded in gratitude, not resentment. Yeah. And of course, you're going to be resentful if you're relentlessly under attack because your elites are complicit in the erosion of your heritage, culture, and ethnicity. I've felt for a long time that there is going to be a major war in our lifetimes, Yeah, which is a very black pill thing to say, but I think that it's basically inevitable at this point because war is the rule of history, not, you know, not the weird exception. I think we've got two proxy wars going on at the moment. If you have a third, then it involves... I'm talking about, I'm talking about a war that directly involves like, our country. Right. Um, As in officially, the United Kingdom. Who's been too quiet for too long, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Take out of the Swedes, kick yeah. them off the bucket list. Yeah. But I mean, you're right. I mean, it's it's it's. A, I don't. I'm not an expert on the subject, or even well, well, well educated on it. But African nationalism, coming from a place of we need to get rid of, uh, I don't know, white rule. Nationalism is best, as you put it, when it's when it's positive, and that. That seems inherently negative to me. Yes. Which I do wonder, maybe that's the root cause of why all African nationalism seems to have ended in pretty much failure. And there's been a couple of examples where it seems to have gone well, but they've they've done it through a way where they're like, oh, what if we incorporate white whiteness? Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, not, nothing in South Africa looks like that. But in all of Africa, I mean, again, when the ex-American slaves got transported over to Liberia to set up a nation state for basically only black people, the first thing they did was institute a slave trade. Like, so this is just myth-busting the fact that you're ever going to have black solidarity, even if you clear all the productive white people out of your relative countries. But that was always nonsense, black solidarity. That was just yeah. make-believe crap. But 
the idea that you can have functioning African societies post-colonialism. I mean, how many more decades do you have to run the experiment before you think, okay, I don't know what the solution is here, but it's not this. This isn't a complete waste of time. Wakanda forever. Yeah, maybe. Matt Thompson, the only solution to grooming gangs is crusade, and crusade has multiple nuanced meanings, of course. So I'm told. Yes. Deus fault, in a peaceful way. Sophie Liv, I also just saw a video of this black man chewing out Arabs for being impure blacks and dirty because they were mixed race. Being racist is kind of the norm outside of the rest Western world. Ask China. They've started saying that the problem with Taiwan is too much Japanese blood has been mixed in. They don't even like people that look like themselves. The Irish don't like the English, for example. Have you seen the laundry advert from China? Where Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was mental. Yeah, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's a um, interracial couple and a black man is bundled into the laundry and she puts the special detergent in and he comes out a pristine Chinese man. What do they mean by this? Anyway, Sophie again. In Botswana, a really nice well-developed country in Africa, they built a giant electric fence to keep everybody out. That's what I mean by incorporating whiteness. Yes. It's like them and what I've heard about Malawi. It's just like, huh, what if we uh, took the old system and built upon it instead of tearing it down because I hate the old system and I hate whitey? I just want Malawi's border policy. Well, Malawi, shut me up if I'm repeating myself. I got got told from a guy who's got family there and keeps going back for holidays that their dictator, when he took over after colonialism, he decided to set up the Eton of Africa and insisted that all the students would be black and the parents bring their black uh, students there, but then promised the black parents that none of the teachers would be black. They're doing that in Kuwait at the moment. My friend works in one of those. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So all of the oil-rich kids are being given... Don't worry, none of them will be Arabs. Yeah, only, <laughs> only, by, only by English and American teachers. Yeah, yeah. that sounds like a way. Yep. Um, Kobe, correcting Connor, the terrorists and the sympathizers are not in your streets, they're in your public housing. Yeah, uh, 72% of Somalis have public housing in England. And finally, suits the red coat, Africans wanting to genocide other Africans. What is this, a day ending in why? Unfortunately so. Indeed. So Dirty Belter says, I will not trust the Tories till we either see serious talks about Islam or we see MPs who voted for lockdown being put on trial for treason. If I do not see a genuine attempt to right the wrongs of the past administration while holding them to account for their most devastating actions, then I will call it yet another side of the same administration. That's the thing. I mean, if we are going to have some kind of like true like revolution within the Conservative Party where they become our guys, essentially... It's, it's, I think it's quite, it's quite, uh, it's unsurprising that people will want some kind of clean break with the previous order, you know, in the form of something like treason trials. You know? Well, you need a seismic defeat and you'll also need a kind of issue that destabilizes the continuity candidate that they prop up while they're in the opposition. Mm. For example, um, the gender lawsuits that will make Penny Morden look really bad. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Fox said, I saw a tweet, sorry, text the other day where someone in an, a, Oh, I see what I've done there. Okay. I saw a tweet the other day where someone in an attempt to support Sunak said that he was a multimillionaire. So why would he take a 170 grand a year job unless it was because he wanted to make a difference? Well, maybe look at how much his wife has made out of his premiership. Or look at the likes of Gates, Bezos et al. Um, they are millionaires, billionaires, but no, ma- no amount is ever enough for them. He is the same. What about the speech fees that happen after you leave the job? Well, exactly. And, and, the, ver- and the enormous amount of networking that yes. he's no doubt doing but- as we speak. He's a human as well, because no one ever heard of Prestige. Yeah. But it's pretty cool to have been the Prime Minister of the yeah. UK. And just pure will to power rich as well. Yeah. No. Rich guys also want other things than just money. Yeah. Otherwise, what do you do with the money? Mm. Uh, Athelstan95 said, The interesting thing is that all criticism is directed towards the Tories as a whole. Even the graffiti is only ever Tories out. He's just seen as an illegitimate and, irre- and irrelevant individual on a seemingly condemned government. 
I think they must think it's better to just ignore him rather than jeer up any energy around him. Yeah, I mean... There were, there were placards held by Steve Bray at our outside National Conservative Conference that said, Tories out. Mm. And I did remark, as did other people on the stage, that there are some Tory MPs in attendance at this conference that are probably in agreement with you at the moment. Yeah. But that's the thing, you know, <laughs> when you see, and you don't actually see this all that often, but when you see people saying like, oh, Rishi Sunak is a, is a far-right populist nationalist, and it's like, are we, are, we are we seeing this? Yeah, are we seeing the same guy right now? Because again, back to what I was saying in the segment, he's absolutely just their guy. I don't. There's no meaningful distinction between like Rishi Sunak and your average progressive, as far as I can see. Uh, Kevin Fox says, "Why is it that every other uh, race or ethnicity can use the lived experience card, but white British can't?" Discuss without sounding racist. Uh, I mean, I think that lived experience is actually a pretty. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's. Into, I don't think it's wrong out of out of pocket to uh, appeal to lived experience because lived experience is, well, <laughs> everyone has it and. Um, I think that uh, appeals to emotion and sentiment are often far more powerful than appeals to facts and logic. Well, it's not just powerful. Like if you're talking about the social texture and the way in which it's changed, actually how you feel about a place yeah. is a relevant factor. Yeah. I actually wrote, uh, I wrote an article for a magazine called Country Squire called The Lived Experience of the English Community. Um, and I, I also commented on how like, you know, every, everyone else is allowed to talk about the lived experience of their community, even when their community is just an abstract categorical like black. Or, or immigrant or LGBT. Like, in what way are those demographics? Oh, we meet up every week. Yeah, yeah. Communities. They're not communities. They're just they're just groups. They're just you know people who have a shared quality. Whereas English, the English community is actually meaningful because um, there is a shared experience of being English that goes beyond just um, I don't know the shallow sort of a. We're located. Yeah, the they're, they're, we share a language, we share a culture, we share a land. You know, yeah. and that's more than just sharing a skin color or a sexuality or uh, an immigration status or whatever else. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, Mike Hunt, Connor is absolutely right that the Conservatives are plagued by zombie Thatcherism. In their London HQ, the lobby has a bust of her. Uh, there's a giant portrait of her in the chairman's office, and the largest side room uh, in the building is named after her. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think any of us here are particularly pro-Thatcher. Not in the slightest. No. I, I do want to do some sort of review of her career and what she's I think that'd be very good because, again, I think that in the popular imagination, especially of, you know, you kind of, I don't know, I think even... Boomer Libcon? Yeah, literally. She's still held as a, as a hero, a sort of heroic figure when actually she presaged a lot of the problems that we're having now. And the, the mode of politics that she engaged in, the style of thinking, hmm. is we're kind of seeing it... Um, What's happened over the course of, uh, you know, since she was in to now, mm. is that mode of thinking has become all the more sort of crystallized and concentrated. We're living in the aftermath of culturally apathetic global neoliberalism. Yes, exactly. Um, so Matt Thompson says, in a merchant-run society, the elites are defined only by their ability to amass or inherit money. No higher quality is selected for. Mm. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, and, you know, a merchant-run society will always uh, champion quantity over quality. Um, which leads to, I mean, that's how a guy like Rishi Sunak gets in. You know, he's not, he's not a great leader. <laughs> you know, he's just a middle manager. Um, Kevin Fox says, Tory's only hope, PM Farage, Deputy PM Lee Anderson. Yes. Cabinet, Braverman, Badenoch, Truss, huh. Jenrick after his spine replacement service, uh, surgery, Steve Baker, oh, in the role of scapegoat. Fine, okay. Go, because there will be certain policies you'd have to enact that won't be popular, so it's good to have a resident demon for the public to hate. Uh, well, Gove, Gove knows where a lot of bodies are buried, clearly. Mm. Because if you can have David Irving on your shelf and not be deselected as an MP, yeah. then you must have a lot of dirt on someone. So he's going to be a hard carbuncle to get rid of. Mm, quite right. 
JJHW says Sunak got the attack on our freedom uh, that is the online safety bill through Parliament. Goebbels would be proud. I mean, Nazi Nazi uh, comparisons are a little bit tired at this point because it's like Rishi Sunak is not a fascist. No. He's just a he's just a boring middle manager type character. PepsiCo. Yeah. Um, Kevin Fox says the problem is not just with Sunak, it's with almost every politician. Time they were given a choice. No wages, but essential expenses paid, and you can keep your board memberships and TV slots for your income, or you get your MP's income and essential expenses, but you cannot have any other income stream. Far be it from me to get myself not booked on certain GB news shows because I want to nudge the discourse, but yeah, no MP, sitting MP should have a show. Hmm. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. Can I do the honorable mentions? Please. Because some of these are quite good. So Severin Knox is asking for Dan to make a video about deflation in the lost je- decade in Japan, which would be fascinating, particularly the 90s crash and the 70s crash, because that's how it's fed into birth rates. So mm. I'll get on Dan about that suggestion. And then feedback via the lads hour, because, well, um, if you're listening, Carl, uh, the audience are saying, I would watch the shit out of some drunk Mario Kart. Mario Kart's great. It's much like a faster version of Diplomacy. Um, I don't know if that's a game reference or he does diplomacy. No, diplomacy actually might be even more funny. So di- the, I don't know how we do it in person though. So it's kind of hard. So diplomacy is a game where let's say all three of us are playing. We play as countries, and what we do is we go into private meetings, one on ones, in which we discuss with each other what we're going to do. And I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. Let's not attack each other. For example, I'll say to you, mm-hmm. we'll attack instead. We'll we'll screw up a corner. And we'll both attack this province or whatever, and then we'll screw him over. Hmm. But then you guys go on a one-on-one meeting, and then I have a one-on-one meeting with you. Right. And I discuss, oh, yeah, screw that guy, am I right? But then you've got to figure out who you can trust and who you can't. And then all the moves get done at the same time. So then you figure out that who's betrayed you. Funny. So it's like political poker face. Sure. But even if I've been betrayed by him, for example, I might still have to work with him, even though he's taken one of my provinces, because I've got no choice. You've become too powerful. Yeah. And when you play with like 10 people, God, it gets... It gets funny. That sounds funny. We can put it on the list. Yeah. I mean, it sounds sounds half decent. Yes. Um, what was the other bloody game? Oh, Quiplash. I said we've got oh, to do yeah. Quiplash. That's that's one that'll be queued up. Um, someone else has also said, I vote for Mario Kart. And you must play Mario Kart next week. Doesn't happen, but Carl it doesn't happen often, but Carl is wrong. Won't be next week because we're reliant on Charlie for the tech, but it will be a future one for sure. The people have spoken. Yeah. You know. It's gonna be the most popular thing on the site. I'm just I'm just saying. But because we're not doing Mario Kart, instead we're doing Trad Girls at three. That came out wrong. <laughs> well, come back in 30 minutes to watch us doing Trad Girls. Bye-bye.